You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the network, its advertisers, owners, or sponsors. Hey, everybody. It is Monday evening. Time for American Winer. How's everybody doing? I'm alive. I'm still alive. I know I disappeared there for about a month. It was kind of planned. It was kind of not planned. Uh, but I have returned and all is well. Um, my guest tonight is joining us on the phone all the way from Los Angeles, uh, Mr. Honest Hotsey. Honest, how you doing? Hi. I'm doing very good. <laughs> thanks, thanks for joining us. We have a lot to talk about. We have, we have a lot to get into tonight, so I'm just going to jump right into the interview. We, uh, we start these interviews off uh, every time with the exact same question, and that question is, where were you born? Uh, I was born in Turkey, um, half Turkish, half Libyan. <laughs> right, right. Your your uh, your dad is Libyan and your mom is Turkish. Yes. Yeah, that's correct. Okay, we should say I, I I'm having an honest time. We're going to talk about your, uh, your 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 life, obviously, life and career, like we always do. Um, with with my guests, but I I I, I was going to say actually, uh, honest is my uh, my my brother's boyfriend. So that's uh that's why that's how I know you, and uh, and I, we we hung out when I was in L.A. back at the end of May. And, um, and so, and, and we got to talking about your, your life and, and all the things that you've been through. And I said, well, you know what? That's an awesome podcast interview. So, so here you are. Uh, but I did want to get that out of the way, but so you were born in Turkey. Where in Turkey were you born? Uh, in Ankara, the capital city, oh, which okay. is like a misconception. Most people think it's Istanbul, the capital city. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Or Constantinople, right. Which I don't even think exists yeah. anymore. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, so uh, uh, tell me about your childhood then. Did you grow up uh, mostly in Turkey or were you in Libya or how did that work? Uh, well, it was pretty interesting. Um, most of my childhood was spent in Libya, but every summer we would go to Turkey and I would stay in Turkey like three months and then return back to study in Libya, basically. Okay. And and like how old were you when you first, because you were born in Turkey, so were you 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 were born there on one, during one of those summers or, or uh, did your parents just happen to be living there and then you moved to, to Libya at a, at a later age or how did that work? Oh, no. I, actually, it's funny because uh, my father is, um, uh, he's the Libyan ambassador, so he had worked in multiple places. Ah. Uh, so we, they were living in Tanzania as for my father's duty, but um, my mom wanted the birth to be uh, placed in Turkey and it was like really like cold winter. And we went there and a lot of our family members came there to uh, be part of the birth. And then um, basically after giving birth to me, we immediately went back to Libya and started the tradition of just going there at summers and staying in Libya. Oh, okay. So your first memories were of Libya then, you, for the most part. You, you, you had more Libya than Turkey to begin with. No, actually, like um, I have... My first memory is of Turkey uh, mm -hmm. because, like, um, we went back to Libya apparently, but um, I studied the kindergarten at Turkey at Ankara. So I have uh. really like strong memories of like I don't know, like uh, uh, having like Santa Claus come to our classroom with my friends and just having fun. But like, it's uh, really small memories; barely can remember any. Uh, okay, so what part? <laughs> what part of Libya uh, did you guys live in then? Uh, we live in Tripoli. Uh, it's the capital city of uh, Libya. It's, um, it looks 
it's like next to the shore. It, it has beautiful beaches and it has like a lot of like historical sites, but it's not famous it, because Libya is like not a well-known country. Um, usually when I try to uh, describe Libya, the first thing I say like, oh, it's right next to Egypt, just to give an idea for people where it is. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so tell me about oh, your childhood then. You, you, you spent uh, most of the year in Libya and then you, you, saw, you spent your summers in Turkey. Um, so like just what, what, what did you do and, and like what kind of a student were you too? You might as well ask that now too. Uh, I, was, um, I was pretty good. Well, I was pretty studious. Um, I would always basically – I mean this is kind of not show off but always ace my um, – um, my exams and everything. And my, my dad was suspicious for the longest time because um, I know three languages and my weakest language is Arabic. And I would have like, a, let's say like A plus at Arabic. And my father would be like, how the hell he would get that? Like, are you like, are you secretly have an agreement with the teacher? And the teachers would say like, no, he, he, he earned it. He studied hard and everything. So my father always had like the idea that um, I was, weirdly um good at school because he never sees me study at home wow so and did it just come naturally to you yeah i mean um i would usually study right before going to the exam um i would wake up like 6 a.m to prepare to get to the bus and the bus would take like an an hour and a half and then by that time i would just like study at the bus study under until the exam starts and i'll get the good points. <laughs> wow, so you you would cram and it actually worked for you. It worked out really well. Yep, all these years and it worked. Wow. <laughs> and I never I messed it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's funny. I think you're the first person that I've ever uh, asked like what kind of a student were you and you said I you basically said I was so good that my dad was suspicious. Like he thought something <laughs> was up. Um Yeah, even my mom was kind of like but she saw me at morning like studying. When I study at morning, I don't talk to anyone. Um, but like, she's still surprised too. It's just like such a short amount of time and I'm just cramping them all together and it works. <laughs> what, what were your favorite subjects? Uh, my favorite subject back then was, um, biology and English probably. Okay. Um, when you weren't in school, what were you into? Like, what did you like to do? Uh, it was kind of, uh, since I had to go to Turkey, usually my summers would be a little bit lazier. But um, I had like few hobbies that um, I had the chance to practice. I did fencing. Um, I played like volleyball on the volleyball team summer camp, and but mostly on on fencing. Um, yeah, you know you know how to fence. <laughs> yeah, that, that is crazy. I did not know that about you. So you could like you could like have a sword fight with someone and win then. Well, um, my fencing went down ever since I left it. It's been so long, but <laughs> I can rival someone at archery. Archery I did professionally for um, uh, when I was like back in Turkey and was about to come to LA. I've been like um, doing archery for the longest, like two years or so. And I went to like few like local competitions and I kind of miss my ball, my ball and arrows. <laughs> yeah, have you thought about taking that up since you've been over here in uh, in the states? Yeah, I mean, I couldn't take it with me just because it's considered as weapon, right? Right. And so I need like special like permit and license, and I didn't have the time and money to just 
um, do it. And so I left everything behind. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, so what, what did your parents do then? I know you, you mentioned your dad was the, uh, an ambassador from Libya. Um, yeah. So tell us my about dad that. Is, sorry about that. Um, oh. my, my dad, uh, uh, was the Libyan ambassador after he retired. Um, he continued to do it like, um, uh, legal, uh, consult and accountant. Um, to fill up his time, basically. My mom, she's a businesswoman, and she's also a painter. Um, yeah, uh, they raised me up in, uh, in an atmosphere that I was always exposed to foreign people and to different cultures, different ideas, and it was quite, um, quite fun. Yeah, how did they meet? How did your parents meet? <laughs> That's actually very funny. Um, so um, my mom, uh, she worked in a company as um, like a, I'm not sure how to say it, but like as a partner of like a, a company to find another, how, uh, I couldn't say it. Like she would try to find, for example, if someone needs gold, they would find a company for the gold and then well, like in between person, I, I don't know what you call it exactly. Yeah, kind of like a consultant or something right there. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what the term for that is either. So um, basically, my father uh, and back in, was serving in, in Turkey, and he was like um, uh, planning to build this school, a Libyan school in Turkey, and he needed some of the materials. And then he contacted like, uh, like uh, local business people, and my mom happened to to be the person and they started first as like talking about business and building and two months three months and then my father one christmas uh new year's eve sent my mom like a bouquet of flowers and like a a, a high quality champagne and asked her out and then they went out for a date and and rest is history <laughs> <laughs> um well, that's, that's, that's hilarious. Uh, that, that, that's, uh, that's really cool. Um, so you, and what, you, what's that? I just wanted to add one thing too. Um, both of them, uh, after meeting each other, studied English so they can communicate with each other. So I thought it's cute. <laughs> oh, really? That's how they communicated. They, they had to learn English, huh? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Wow. What well, just here's here's kind of a, a question that will uh, display my, more of my uh, ignorance. But uh, what is the, the the national language of Libya? Is it is it is it Libyan or is it Arabic or what is it? Uh, it's Arabic. Um, Libya is one of the uh, multiple countries that speak Arabic. Um, okay. Most mostly like North African countries and Middle Eastern countries, uh, they speak Arabic. In Turkey, they speak Turkish. Right. Uh, and so both of them had like. Um, a good amount of English, but they have to like um, improve their English to communicate better. And they started to learn their languages. Uh, and so, yeah, all of my family members, we all know English, Arabic and Turkish. And sometimes it gets crazy. Like we talk about something and then we jump from language to another to describe because certain things you can describe it easier in certain languages because there's no equivalent exactly. So sometimes, like, we would say a word in Arabic, and then I completed it in Turkish, and then my father would answer in, uh, like, in English. So it was a pretty interesting place 
to live at and have people come and see is like, what the hell is going on here? Yeah, yeah, that is that is incredible. I was actually going to ask you this later, but I'll ask it now, like, because you speak three languages. And that's really interesting that, like, you guys would switch languages up to, to communicate a certain point. Um, like, how does that work in your head? Like, when you're speaking, like, when you're, do you think in a, in a certain language or do you think in whatever language you're speaking or, or how does that work? Uh, it, um, it's funny because um, I feel like right now my Arabic kind of is in the weaker side because I I haven't been able to practice it. But back then, it's just I rem- ever since I remember me being a human, I would I knew three languages, and um, I would usually think either in Turkish or English, and it would change from time period to another like. The last few years, I've been like thinking usually like uh, in Turkish. But back back when I was in Turkey, I would like dream in English, and it's 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 weird. <laughs> so there really wasn't a like a, a particular rhyme or reason to it. it would just kind of be like whatever whatever we were most used to at the time. It sounds like with kind of different yeah. things sort of. But then again, it was, it's also weird because um, my strengths in language is so different. I feel most confident when I talk in Turkish. But when I write, I feel more confident in English. In Arabic, I I feel confident listening to other people. I feel like I have strengths in each language and weaknesses as well. Um, and I learned the true hardship of learning a language when I learned Korean. And then I was like, whoa, how do people learn languages? This is difficult. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so okay, so so you, you grew up uh, between Libya and Turkey, and you're 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 uh, very well educated. Um, you had parents that were very successful, and uh, and uh, that's that's your life. I, I want to get into um, uh, what was happening with the the revolution in 2011 now, and I want to preface that uh, with asking you, like, what was your opinion of of uh, Gaddafi uh, before anything happened? Like, what, just growing up, what was your you and your family's opinion of him? It was it was really interesting for me. The whole experience felt like we were animals, but it's not in a worse way. It's like we we had been taken care of. Like um, all utilities were free. There was like really cheap food. The petroleum was cheaper than water, basically. Uh, but the problem was there wasn't like any. Um, locations that people can like socialize there isn't like dance pits or like uh clubs or bars alcohol is it's not legal in libya and aside from that anyone who is trying to be an art art is not encouraged and so it just felt like people were trapped in this like small places and anyone who was like trying to be kind of successful or was about to become successful and more popular than Gaddafi. Gaddafi would make them disappear. So most of the people knowing that would travel to another country when they knew that, okay, there's too much attention on me. Like, it was interesting because he he had a lot of things that was good, but still he was a dictator. And he stayed in power for 44 years. Um, Most people um, had most, like, there was three types of people in Libya. People who hated him but couldn't talk about it. People who hated him, but instead of talk about it, try to always say like, oh, we love him. He's the best. Uh, and the third kind of people were stuck up, the ones who were close to him. And he would, there wasn't like a free press. Um, and 
arts were not encouraged. There wasn't theaters. So it's basically a cage. It's, it was weird for me growing up in there. And it was kind of like, you cannot speak about him because everyone would put codes on it. And Turkish people usually one day would refer to him, would say like, did you hear what Anko said? Anko was his code name. Uh. And growing up um, as a kid, I would hear like our neighbors or our friends, whenever they want to talk about him, they would use the code. Oh, uncle did this, uncle did that. But it was code for Gaddafi because he had ears everywhere. He had spies everywhere. Yeah, I was reading about him. I I, I watched some stuff and I and I read up a little bit. I I I I I'd known who he was and all that. Um, but I had no idea like the extent to that he went to to like, you know, sort of dominate the culture with his personality. So it, like he he changed the Muslim calendar and he did things like that. Like he would he would change the like religious things and and that's how, how was, deeply his he was crazy. Went. I mean, he was crazy sometimes in a positive way because. Um, one of the things, good things that he actually did was he suppressed the more and made the country less, um, how can I say, less like Saudi Arabia, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and he encouraged a lot of women's rights. Uh, he had his infamous army called like the Amazon. And they were all female bodyguards of Qaddafi, for example. Right, right. And women women had like a lot of uh, rights. For example, if a man divorced a woman, the woman would take whatever the man owned so he can divorce her. Um, and there was a lot of like specific things for women that also helped him maintain power because um, a lot of the population is female than male because of the Italian colonization, the Ottoman colonization, and a lot of wars happened. And so the male population is lower compared to the female. And so he appealed mostly to women in his um, lurish. Uh, um, yes, I mean, when he ruled. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like it was like, I'll take care of all your, your basic needs and I'll even throw in some extra, some extra civil rights. But in return for that, you can never criticize or do anything even remotely criticizing me and you can never come close to being more popular than me. I'm, exactly. He, so. he just wanted all the attention on him. He was the savior. He was the um, uh, like unofficial prophet, basically. He had his like, um, he published three uh, books called the Green Books. They were like a mixture of religion and his uh, laws. And so some of the laws were like this. A person lived, uh, wait, sorry. The house belongs to the person who lives in it. So basically, if none of your family lives here in your house for a month, if someone happens to enter your house, break in, and start living in it, it's their house. Oh, my God. Land, another rule was, like, land is not ruled by anyone. Land, nobody owns land. So basically, if he had a project or if he wanted a land from someone, he basically build on it and say, like, government took it over. So it was, like, ridiculous, some of the rules. I remember I read something on him. Um, it's kind of a funny story because uh, he had a he had a terrible fear of heights. Uh, so yeah. when he would travel, he would he would take his own like tent song and kind of build his own compound, and he refused to stay in skyscrapers. Um, yes. Well, he, when I think it was in like 2009, it wasn't that 
long ago. It was it was soon before the the revolution. Um, uh, he came to the U.S. and he stayed in New York, the uh, New York uh, on Long Island, and uh, because he didn't want to stay in the city because there were no first floors available on any of the skyscrapers, he decided to rent out a mansion. And the person that he ended up renting a mansion from is our current president. So I thought that oh, was kind wow. of funny. It was one of Donald Trump's mansions. Yeah. Um, and, and like I said, that was, I want to say it was in like 2009 is when that happened. Um, that blows my mind. <laughs> yeah, that was, I found that out like a couple of months ago. I thought that was really interesting. Um, but uh, so anyway, w- w- before we get into the to 2011 and the specifics of that, I wanted to ask you like, what's the biggest misconceptions Americans and maybe even just foreigners in general have about Libya and what happened there in 2011? I think, like, most people didn't know even Libya existed for the longest time until, um, like, um, uh, Arab Spring happened. Um, but I still, like, sometimes face, not, like, not re- revolution-wise, but I face some people who are trying to say that um, Gaddafi was very excellent leader and it was ridiculous of Libyan people just to rebel against it just because, they felt the need to have more freedom where we, we were provided with everything. Why would you need more? Basically some of the foreign people would uh, like would spoke with me, but when I ex- explained to them is they understand better. But aside from that, the misconceptions from Libya, sometimes I face when I basically tell them exactly like when I tell them like, Oh, it's an Arab country. Some of the people have like the most ridiculous answers. Like, I remember someone saying, hey, do you guys have, like, electricity over there? Or do you guys use camels for transportation? And it's just sometimes those questions, I'm like, I don't know how to answer them. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we do, definitely. And we have a tiger pet. And they would be like, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> and they, So they were serious then. They actually just... So that was the typical, like, um, you know, like, oh, it's the third world, so blah, 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 you know, that type of attitude, right? From, uh, from Yeah, I, I mean, when I talk with educated people, of course, they know more and they have better answers. But when I talk sometimes to day, day-to-day people around America, um, once I even received, uh, I told them, like, I'm half Turkish, uh, I'm from Turkey, and a lady told me, like, oh, which uh, state Turkey is? I was like, <laughs> she asked you which state how... Turkey is. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I mean, when I meet with people like college students and people who are like more kind of like up to news and they know what's going on in the world, or they're more kind of like have better knowledge of geography and everything, they they know they know how Turkey and Libya is. But when I meet day to day people, of course. I mean, it's understanding that when you grow in a country as big as America, it's like a whole continent almost, if you think about it. Right. It's hard to know about other countries, smaller countries around the world. And maybe the education system also is not like, doesn't like to promote uh, learning about different cultures. I'm not sure how it is, but um, yeah, I'm, I, that's all I can say about it. <laughs> well, so 2011 rolls around. Did you, was there something in the air before? Cause this all went down in a relatively short period of time from when like the, 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 the resistance, the official resistance began and when Gaddafi was, was ousted from power and ultimately uh, killed. Um, yeah. Did you, could you and your family kind of feel like something's going to happen uh, or was it, uh, it was, was it a complete surprise? It was, uh, 
it was in between. It's it's funny because like we hear other uh, like Arab Spring uh, springs happening around, and we were like, <laughs> in Libya, that would never happen. Like, what would it be like if it happened in Libya? And then it suddenly started, and everyone joked around saying like nothing is going to happen because he stayed at power 44 years. People can't even imagine how it is, how would it would be without him. Mm-hmm. So even when it started, people were like making jokes about it. It's like, oh, it's nothing. It's, it's, uh, it's a protest and Gaddafi will take care of it. Uh, of course, we were like, everyone was kind of like rooting for the civil, um, for the rebellion to be stronger. But everyone was insecure and nobody could voice anything, especially in Tripoli, the capital city. But in Benghazi, um, the events got bigger and bigger and bigger. And then NATO happened and France supported. NATO didn't, it went away. Turkey was kind of supporting people to run away from the conflict. And it was a, a huge mess. It was suddenly one day you wake up and the country is basically on civil war. It's very interesting. So, uh, when so when did that moment happen for you? Like when you you I remember because I, I watched an interview with you on a, on a YouTube channel called Soul Pancake, and you you kind of talked about uh, the 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 conflict and all that, and your perspective of it. Um, but like when did you? Because you mentioned your father was on a business trip, and you and your brother and your older brother were alone in your apartment. Um, I, yeah. assume, I assume in Tripoli during during the uh, the the fighting. Is that when did you guys like realize? Okay, this is serious. We need to get the hell out of here, or if, or like you know, you guys. Because I know your brother ended up staying, but like, how yeah. did that go down? Like, when, when were you and your mom like we have to go? And your brother was like, I'm not going. I want to fight. Yeah. So it all for a week at least. My father went to Benghazi. We even made a joke said, like, "Oh, our maybe our father started the revolution because he suddenly <laughs> disappears." goes to Benghazi and there's like a rebel group at Benghazi, but he wasn't. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, it became more serious when we weren't able to communicate with my father. After he went, like we we weren't able to communicate with him because the uh, the phone um, system, like uh, the operators to Benghazi was cut off. We didn't know what to do. And then we stayed and like um, the second week, we started to hear like actual like uh, conflicts outside of our house. And we were like, okay, things are serious. And we didn't know what to do. Um, then at the third week, we heard in television that the Turkish government was providing to their citizens a rescue ship. And um, first they accept like the citizens, Turkish citizens, and they then they accept any like other foreign people who want to... Um, not be uh, caught in the conflict. And so they started having those ships come. And five, four, six days, all the ships were uh, coming and going. During this time, my brother wanted to stay and fight. He believed that uh, he needed to join the rebellion and make it a better country and everything. But it's, it's a difficult situation for my mother because what would she do there? Mm-hmm. And I was 16 or 15. And I remember to myself, like, I never, I didn't live my life at all. Most of my life was basically trapped in home, going to school and everything. And I was very, like an insecure kid. I, I always try to do the best, what people think the best is. 
And until then, I was like then. But then when that happened and my brother wanted to stay, I, I just raised my voice up and raised my opinion and started to say, hey, I have only one life and I just started my life. And this could just basically destroy my education, destroy my ambitions and dreams that I have. And I, I told my mother, even though it's a harsh question, I was, would you like to save one of your sons or none of them? It was kind of like an asshole question, but I was trying to get out of the place. And, and my brother was persistent that he wanted to stay. He, my brother supported my idea. He, he understood what I want with my decision, but he also wanted respect for his decision. And the last ship came, and that night, my mom had to make her mind up. She, she didn't want to do it, but forced by me and my brother, we went to the last ship rescue. Me and my mother got into the rescue ship. Uh, we left my brother behind. Um, it was a, a really emotional goodbye. It was, yeah. We didn't know what's going to happen. Um, so, and, and you're on the ship and, uh, to Turkey, which you mentioned was the last one. Um, you guys would eat rice in the morning, only in the morning because there was, it was a ship that was built for 500 people and there were 1200 on, on it. Um, yes. and you were on the ship the, for two weeks. Yes. It was pretty crazy. Like when we got into the uh, ship, it was supposed to be a trip for, uh, a week because, uh, through the sea, it's not far away, Turkey. Um, but um, two out of like five engines weren't working right, and like like you said, they kept it was over capacity. Like it was designed for five to six hundred people, but there was at least thousand two hundred people on it, and it was it was so sad because I would go to the deck because there's um, since there's not enough space, people would sleep at the deck all together basically like a huge bed imagine at the deck of human bodies just sleeping at night and it's cold it's really cold mm-hmm. um we were joking with like like we don't know like in this situation you don't know if you laugh about this situation how ridiculous is it or do you cry about the situation so in the same time we were like by the time we go to Turkey, probably everything will be resolved and Gaddafi will be still in power. Uh, but little we know that actually the revolution, the revolutionary side won. But during the ship, since there's so many people, um, the ship had like the, uh, a designated like a uh, food system of like, okay, three meals a day for uh, 500 people. But since it's overboard, they changed it to only like morning they would give rice and like orange juice or whatever. And that's what you rely on the whole trip. And we didn't know when will we arrive. And we arrived like two weeks at least. And and, well, first of all, what kind of a ship was it? Was it like a passenger ship or was it a cargo ship that had been converted that was just being used as a passenger ship? It, It was actually a passenger ship. Um, there was a lot of like um, uh, people who like medical medical um, like doctors and medics who can take care of if there was like anyone injured from war or if they need like care during that situation and um, and yeah it was very interesting uh, 
everyone didn't know what to feel. It was out of nowhere. Um, I don't know even what to say because back then I blocked out all of my emotions. I, for some reason, when you, when you're a child, maybe like your brain tries to protect yourself and act like nothing is happening. Mm -hmm. Like for example, when the war is happening, my mom would close the lights and everything. We hear noises outside, but I would play video games and bake cakes because I didn't want to accept it as reality. And my brain just uh, blocked it out. And so my whole emotions when I was in the ship and in Libya is just, I acted like nothing was happening. It all hit me like two years, three years after when I became like 18, 19. And I felt like some of the emotions was uh, bottled up. Uh, there's like unnecessary anger sometimes came and everything. And it's just, now I can reflect on what I felt because back then my, I, my mind was protecting me from those emotions basically well tell us about like when you got to turkey like what was that like like and, and what happened when you guys arrived in turkey uh when we arrived to turkey of course me and my mom we just looked at each other and we're like finally we're free we're in a safe place um my um my grandfather and grandmother they live in uh the capital city ankara where my mom was raised up and so we decided to go to the capital city with my mom and we bought uh, their home because they wanted to move to their uh, home city, another city within Turkey called Bursa. And so we bought their house and we had nothing. We, we started from zero. And for at least two years, we were like building up from scratch. Um, we didn't have a, a, like chairs, television, and we were like slowly trying to like my mom would try to find money and she would do business deals and everything. And so we came into a house that was empty and we filled it and we built it up. And it was a really sensitive time because for six months after that ship rescue plan, we didn't hear about my brother and father and we were worried. And, and actually something that is really ironic is the school that my father built in Libya and Turkey, the Libyan school, was the only school accepted me as a student because since I'm half Turkish, the Turkish government recognized me as a Turkish student. And since I never studied in Turkey, I cannot start any school in Turkey. And they would recognize me as someone who never studied. Uh, so I wasn't able to register to any school except the school that he built because it was, it was, um, accepting the Libyan uh, educational system. It's quite different too, because at high school, we basically concentrate on one, on one subject that we're gonna study. In my case, it was uh, medical. Uh, so I studied heavily on like biology and chemistry and less on the, like, let's say Arabic and English linguistic side. And so the, the only ones that accepted was the school he built for his future son. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, so, but you said it was three to six months before you 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 heard from your your dad or your brother again. So that that must have been in, incredibly stressful. Uh, that was going to be my next question: is how long did it take for you guys to to get in touch again? Yeah, it was six months at least. Um, wow. It was the most difficult on my mom because um, she basically shares the load of like 
paying stuff with my father, of course, and suddenly like half of that income is not there. And I'm starting my school up there. And of course, we need essential stuff like food and I don't know, like electricity and stuff. And at the very beginning, our grandparents, of course, like her grandparents, I mean, her father and mother helped a lot until we had like a little bit more security within the house. And then, then they left us and then we were a little bit kind of like trying our best and we're trying to know what's going on. Um, and then after six months, we heard from them. Um, my father had to have like a surgery because uh, one of his, of his earbuds um, exploded because of an explosion came by and it was like really loud and he had to come for a surgery to Turkey. So he communicated with us and he came and had a surgery. He's fine right now. Um, and my brother, he was, he also survived. Uh, a lot of things happened to my brother. Uh, he saw the worst side of the war. So he wasn't the same person that um, we left behind, of course. But um, when he came to Turkey, he was trying to get back to the set mindset of like, I'm in a normal place. I can let my guard down. And so it was all uh, rebuilding and healing. Uh, but it worked out. All of us are alive. Mir- like a, it's like a miracle for us. <laughs> yeah. Well, where are they now? I know your mom's in Turkey, but and uh, well, where are your brother and dad? Uh, and what's everybody doing? Uh, my my mom is in Turkey. Uh, my mo- uh, my dad is in Libya right now um, because most of his business is right now in Libya. Uh, my brother is in Tanzania, where because my father was an ambassador, he worked also in Tanzania, and his childhood was spent there. My my father, uh, my brother, he's a graphic designer. And after the war and everything, of course, he changed. And he just wanted to go to a place that is like uh, serene and peaceful. And so he decided to go back to Tanzania where his childhood was spent and he had friends there. And he started a travel agency there. So he's in Tanzania and I'm here. I kind of look at it in a way that we're like conquering the world slowly because <laughs> each member is in a different continent almost. <laughs> right, right. And and honest can have the U.S. That's that's what they they're like. <laughs> honest can go to the U.S. to deal with the U.S. Uh, so, but how did you? So, how did you um, end up here? I know you 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 went to Korea uh, for for a little while, um, but uh, just tell us like it's after you you had, things had calmed down and you. Gained contact with your family again, and you 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 started going to school. Um, how did you end up leaving Turkey, and and how did you end up in the U.S. and specifically L.A.? Um, it was a progress. Um, so I I told like I told you I studied uh, uh, medical uh, to be like a medic, basically to be a doctor or a genetic scientist. Basically, that's that was my dream. Mm-hmm. Um. And then I applied to multiple schools and I especially focused on South Korea because I had an obsession with South Korean culture, their music, K-pop and K-drama. So I was like, I need to go there. I need to live there. So they accepted uh, me there and gave me a scholarship. And I went there and learned the language for six months. Uh, but during that time, um, a spy, a Korean spy was caught in Libya and uh, he was executed. And then all the connection between Libyan citizens and Korean citizens were cut off and my scholarship basically fell off. And I had to return back to Turkey. And all of my dreams was shattered because 
I was in agony. I was like, how come a person who tries his best, he wants to be something useful and he studies 24 hours and, uh, and then suddenly ends up being rejected because of some other person's mistake. And I was really mad about that situation. Right. I came to Turkey. I had one empty year. I didn't know what to do with my life. Um, and our financial situation wasn't the best. And one day I was like walking down a street and um, a person comes to us and says like, hey, there's an audition for this uh, indie festival feature film that we're doing. And we are searching for um, talent who never um, did acting. And we were like joking around. We're like, you know what? We don't have anything else to do. Let's just go for those auditions and have fun. We went to the auditions. Uh, I did my audition and I went out and two weeks later they call my mom and say oh your uh, your son um, is honest here and she's like no your son won this audition and we want him as part of uh, our movie and everything and then she's shocked of course I never even mentioned that to her and then she calls me uh honest have you like uh, applied or auditioned for a movie and I was like yeah it was like two weeks ago and she's like well, you got it. <laughs> it was, it was really interesting. And this company, this thing that they were doing, they were taking those talents and they trained us for four months at least. And after that, they decided on what roles, depending on our acting ability, would be. And I got one of the bigger roles. And then during that session, like it was, it took like two months or so to film the whole thing. But I fell in love with everything. It's like how they make film house like a team effort, like learning your lines last second. And just, <laughs> um, it was very exciting. And I love the experience itself. And I come from an artistic family. If you think about it, my mom is painter. My brother is graphic designer. My uncle did like a lot of um, sculptures. So there was a tendency of art tendency within me, but I never was embracing it any, in any way. And this was the hit that I realized I love this. I just want to do this. It, and it doesn't matter if I have ups and downs. I'm passionate about this. And then I started to apply to schools and the best acting schools, of course, is and probably should be in LA because the biggest industry is here. And then I applied to one and I got accepted and I came to LA and I had only one luggage. I didn't know anyone. We didn't have friends or family. And I told my family, I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to find a way. I had uh, a week or two at Airbnb. Uh, I had to walk at least two hours to school, but wow. I made it. <laughs> I was passionate about it. <laughs> and, and how long ago I, was that? How long? Uh, I mean, I settled down after like uh, um, five months or so. I found a better place and I had to walk fast. But uh, the whole school was like three years and it was intense program. It didn't have any breaks. So uh, between the semesters, we would have like one week off and then we start to the next uh, semester immediately. So I was always on get go. I need to keep going keep doing keep doing and it was one of the best experience ever um they teach us not only in acting and uh, i went to new york from academy um the way they do it is 
they focus on acting, but they give lessons on editing, producing, directing, and their philosophy is like, in this time of age, actors need more than being an actor. They need more skills to survive in real life here because it's pretty difficult. Um, and it really helped me through a lot of my startup, like the ways that I paid my rent was doing like a student, student editing and uh, script supervising. And yeah, it helped me survive a little bit longer. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So I didn't realize that. How old were you when you, when you did that audition in Turkey and, and got the, uh, the, the original role? Cause you, you, it's not, you said you hadn't really even considered it before then. No, I was, I was probably nine, 19, 19. Wow. So you, you had never, and before that you said you wanted to go into the medical field. So that's crazy that you, I, I didn't know that about you because, uh, you know, after meeting you, it's, I, I assumed that you'd uh, kind of always had a passion for it, like since childhood, but, uh, but it, you were, you were in college, basically you were of college age when, when that, uh, when that hit you. Uh, yeah. And um, well, so is, since you've been, you know, getting involved in acting and all that, uh, has there, and you know, I was actually, I was going to say, do you think that, um, growing up in, in Libya and you said there was really no, you know, uh, the arts weren't really allowed because artists might speak out against Gaddafi. Do you think that that maybe yeah. played into your, 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 uh, your, your eventual passion for this? I mean, yes. When I was in Turkey, after realizing how, um, coming from an artistic family and also being in this like film and acting, it, it had a feeling of freedom that we were never allowed to see in Libya uh, particularly. And it just, in me, there was a sense of, I want to be the first Libyan actor uh, or Turkish actor that is known in, let's say like in America and in around the world. So other people can see the example and can have the hope of, I can be an actor. I I can try it as well. There's someone who did it before me. In my case, there's no Libyan actor at all. And not in Libya, not every, anywhere. So I'm like, basically, I feel like there's, there's a duty that I need to do for uh, also my country. Um, and also a lot of Turkish actors, they become really lazy after becoming famous in Turkey because basically a, a lot of Turkish movies and series are... Um, are sold to like um, some parts of Asia, some parts of Europe and Arab countries. So it, basically Turkey is kind of like the um, film hub of that continent. But no Turkish actor has the courage to come to America and be like, hey, I'm going to be big here. They're too comfortable. So I wanted to provide a way or a hope for others to have this kind of passion too in future. Like my biggest goal in my life, one day being able to go to Libya and just open an art school and being able to provide that to um, people in Libya. Right. But we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's kind of following your father's footsteps there. If you, if you open your own school. So, um, yeah. <laughs> well, tell us about because you got an agent recently, and and the agent like has like he used to be Will Smith's agent and a couple other famous people. So tell us about that. Yeah. Um. So my agent basically he was uh, doing a lot of uh, taking care of um a lot of athletic and also actors, no well known actors. Will Smith happened to be uh, one of the people he um took 
care as like an agent and uh yeah I'm, I'm excited. he's very nice and he calls me like in at least monthly basis and let me know what auditions i can do and um i try to do auditions here and there um so i don't know what's gonna happen but hopefully i mean he has even um i forgot what his name uh he was featured and this is so off the topic but he was featured in oj simpson's uh, documentary because he was his athletic um agents or something oh. like that uh, really? so that was like a weird thing to know about him watching him interview at that documentary <laughs> yeah uh, um so what are some projects that uh you you're, you're involved with are you, are you working on anything right now or is it uh you got anything uh coming up yes um right now i'm working as an immersive actor and um in a place called counts then so this experience is where it's a vampiric soap opera and there's five vampires and every Thursday night uh, we invite people to come to drink and have live shows of music and we have our vampires each with different personalities and different stories um, uh, develop their story by each Thursday night and we're uh, basing this whole experience to one to two years and we already started also releasing kind of like um episodic uh shows immersive theater shows that we introduce right now we're introducing the past memories of the vampires because when you come to the this mansion it's all like imagine it like gothic really dark uh and we have our costumes and we have uh, we look like vampires and we always talk minimum about ourselves and we kind of intimidate the people who come and we created a kind of a small following like 60 70 people who always show up to our Thursday night and they try to know each character and try to follow it through Slack and other apps and it's exciting yeah um it's a long-term project but it's really interesting to be part of a, a really particular acting style which is involves a lot of like improvisation also on spot thinking and including other people within the show um because a lot of people who come to our show also ends up being part of the story in a way so that's what's the biggest thing happening right now but i'm also trying to um write like a short film things i had a short film uh called by the way um i released it the start of this year at january and it did pretty good at uh, film festivals around. It was screened at um, California Women's Film Festival, so, uh, New York Film Festival, and different festivals. And I want to follow it up doing another thing because my main passion is film acting. And that's what I want to get into. <laughs> uh, are there any like actors or directors that you want to work with? Oh, definitely. There's so many. But the people that comes to my mind uh, first, is a uh, del toro uh darren Ar aronofsky i i probably butchered his name actually i think you um, got you got it right as aronofsky so you, you're pretty much there <laughs> yes um uh also there is a, a a famous director nuri bilge jaylan it's like a turkish director who won multiple awards at Cannes, the biggest prize he won it multiple times uh from actors 
I would love to work with uh, Kate Blanchett, Rooney Mara, Eddie, Eddie Redmayne. Those are kind of my idols. <laughs> wow. Um, but let's see. I mean, uh, I still have a long way to go. I'm just at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm so glad you said Del Toro and Kate Blanchett because those are two of my favorite. Like, Del Toro is one of my favorite directors, and Kate Blanchett is one of my favorite actresses. So uh, that would be. That, that, those are those are definitely worthy goals, man. Um, and and I really like the idea that like it's something that I've never really you know thought about. But you're you're right. I I don't really you can't think of any Libyan or Turkish actors that have really become mainstream in the U.S. Right? Um, there's so, there's only like uh, two Egyptians names that are prominent. Omar Sharif was one of the big stars in like Lawrence of Arabia and uh, Doctor Shuago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was Egyptian. He passed away a re- uh, few years ago. Right now, there's only Rami Malik, which is half Egyptian, half um, American. Um, but still, it's none of my, like, it's not Turkish or Libyan. There's a whole another pride of having someone from your home country being kind of the, the person you look up to. Right, right. Well, that's, I mean... Yeah, man. I mean, keep at it. It's it's like you said, it's a process. Um, and I mean, you're already doing getting an agent is like, from what I know of it is like that alone is, is a, is a really huge accomplishment, let alone getting somebody who's already, who's, you know, who's known in the business and has participated in various, you know, uh, like you said, he was in that documentary and things. So, so that's great. Um, but, uh, we're, uh, we're coming up on the end of the show here. Um, so uh, I'm gonna I'm just scrolling through my questions here, making sure I got to everything. Uh, oh, this is actually this is a quick question you can answer real quick. Uh, is are there any roles you'd like to play that you haven't yet, like that are like historical figures or famous characters, like like you know, is there like a Shakespeare play you'd like to do or anything like that? To be honest, I there's so many great roles, and I feel since there's like a lack of representation from other parts of the world. I would love to play a historical uh, figure called like Suleiman the uh, the Greatest. It was like an Ottoman sultan which had like revolutionized art and expanded his territories, and he um, kind of broke laws to be in love and marry the woman he loved. And I think it would be really interesting to play him, and it would be kind of more uh, fitting my ethnicity as well. What What was his name again? Uh, Suleiman the Greatest. Oh, okay. All right. Well, um, so, go, sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, no, no. Go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say because we're uh, I'm I'm getting the notice so we got to wrap this up so I can get out of here before the next show comes in. But um, but honest, thanks thanks so much for coming in and sharing your story, man. This has been great. This is uh, oh. uh any interview where I don't have to do much talking is a good interview. Um, and uh, and you've been through a lot, and you've got uh, like I said, you know, the goals that you have. I I really I I really hope that that works out for you, man. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, can I have a short message uh, uh, said? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, go for it, man. Um, right now, my mom is probably watching this. I want to thank her for her infinite support. She was always there for me, the only person. And also Benjamin Berg for always being there for me and uh, never making me feel like I can't do anything. Everything is possible with him. I love him. And thank you. That's all. <laughs> all right. And thank you, Alex, for having me. Well, thank you for coming on. Um, but uh, but yeah, th- and thanks everybody for listening, um, including Honest's mom. Uh, so uh, 
that's uh, that's going to do it for us. Um, I will be back uh, next Wednesday. Um, and this has been American Winer on podcastdetroit.com.